Clippers Daily with Jason Mertidis. It's the most wonderful time. And welcome to a very special 24th of the month of December, the year 2020 edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Yeah, if you listen to yesterday's episode, we weren't planning on doing this. But we pivoted because the NHL schedule has been released. We knew it was coming today, but we figured it's too exciting not to do a special episode. So how did we go about it? Well, we decided... Let's get the general manager on this episode. So that's who we'll talk to in just a moment. Chuck Fletcher will join us to talk about the schedule, the roster, the different kind of rules that he is going to have to abide by this year. We'll get an update on Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom and others. So a lot to cover with Chuck Fletcher in just a moment. Bill Meltzer and Brian Smith are going to join me after I talk to Chuck Fletcher uh, about the schedule. We'll break it all down. Here's the deal, though. 56-game season. It starts on the 13th of January. The Flyers will start that night. Matter of fact, they'll be the only team in the East Division that is playing on that night, and their opponent, none other than the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you're going to start off this season a condensed schedule, let's do it in fashion. Let's do it with a rivalry, and let's do it with the Penguins. Not once, but twice. The Flyers will play the Penguins for both of their first two games of the season in Philadelphia, 13th of uh, January and also the 15th of January, so Wednesday and Friday. Then they'll remain home in Philadelphia to take on Buffalo, who now obviously is part of this East Division. They'll take on Buffalo on the 18th and 19th, and that'll be the first of only eight back-to-backs throughout this entire regular season. I say only, I was expecting upwards of 12 uh, to only have eight back-to-backs uh, for the entire season is uh, a pretty good number for the Philadelphia Flyers. You'll hear Chuck Fletcher talk about it. Really happy with the schedule and the way it came out for the Flyers. Last year, um, let's face it, it was a tough schedule for the Flyers. Starting the season over in the Czech Republic, coming back for one game against the New Jersey Devils, then going out on a West Coast trip. Uh, that, that was a tough situation. The Flyers traveled a lot of miles early in the season. But remember, with these back-to-backs, too, And most of these back-to-backs, all with the exception of one, you're staying in the same city on the back-to-back, and you're facing the same opponent. So there's not travel between the back-to-backs. So that's a thing that maybe lessens the blow a bit of a back-to-back, but only eight back-to-backs throughout the entire season for the Flyers. In a 56-game season, yeah, it's more than it would be eight if it was an 82-game season. It would be 10%. Uh, I don't know the math, but... 8 of 56, still not bad, all things considered. So the Flyers will start the season with the Penguins. They'll end the season with the Washington Capitals. That'll be on the 8th of May, and that'll lead into the Stanley Cup playoffs where the Flyers sure hope they're one of the top four teams in the East Division and punching a ticket. Speaking of the East Division, six of the eight teams were in the return to play over the summer because they fell within the top 12 teams in the Eastern Conference. The only teams that did not... Uh, compete in the return to play that are in the East Division are the aforementioned Buffalo Sabres, who they'll face for games three and four of the season, and also the New Jersey Devils. Other than that, the Islanders went to a conference final. The Penguins, well, they got knocked out by Montreal in the play-in series. You look at a team like the New York Rangers, 
They got to the bubble. They never won a game in the bubble, but they got to the bubble, and they ended up winning the lottery. You look at a team like Washington, ends up being, through the regular season, the winner of the Metropolitan Division, got knocked out in the first round. And then you look at uh, teams like uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Are they a team that's falling off? Perhaps. Are they falling enough enough to not be a playoff team in a 56-game regular season? I'm not ready to say that just yet. So a lot of compelling storylines with this schedule, a lot of compelling just the business of hockey is going to be fascinating. And one more thing before we get to Chuck Fletcher, because as the league broke down and as all the schedules came out on Wednesday afternoon, like you're unloading a stocking after you just pulled it down from the mantle. The one thing that was great was this. It's the fact that on January 13th through May 8th, there is not one day, not one day on the calendar where there is not NHL hockey. Every single day, there are NHL games. Now, on four of those days, of those 116 days, there's only one game. On three more occasions, there's only two. But on every other occasion, there's three, four, five, six, or seven. or even eight. Or even nine. There's a lot of hockey to be played starting in now less than three weeks. Let's get to the general manager. He was kind enough to join us yesterday uh, when the schedule was coming out. And here's my conversation with Flyers general manager, Chuck Fletcher. I'm very happy to have join us here on this episode of Flyers Daily, a special episode, Christmas Eve edition. Flyers general manager and president, Chuck Fletcher. Chuck, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jason. How are you? I'm good because I'm happy. I got a Christmas present. It's called the NHL season. I see that smile on your face. Um, Dealing in a world of so many unknowns to finally get knowns as much as they can be known at this point in 2020 for instance knowing when the season will start and all and the 56 game schedule uh, that had to be a big relief to you and the organization I'm sure yeah really for everybody in, in the industry and you know we uh, we're all anxious to get going it, it's been it must have been an incredibly difficult process for the NHL and the NHLPA to go through to to come up with the rules and meet with all the necessary health authorities and governmental agencies to, to put this together. So a lot of credit uh, to them for, for persevering and, and, and finding a path forward for all of us. But we're, we're excited to get going and certainly will be a different season than what we're used to, but uh, different can be good. It certainly will be exciting. And uh, you know, just to be talking hockey again is, is a welcome relief. Yeah, no question. I, you know, and talking to Elaine Vigneault the, the other day, um, you know, I mentioned to him that he brought so much accountability to the organization. And and like you just said, it, it is different. Last year was different in the return to play, but it was an opportunity. This year is different, yes, but it's still an opportunity, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the rules are the same for everybody. You know, the divisional alignment will be interesting. It'll be a little bit like the old Patrick division. We're going to play a lot of our uh, you know, a lot of the regional teams here in, in the East Coast and the Northeast a lot. Uh, I'm sure the games will become intense and uh, some rivalries will be either renewed or, or born, as the case may be. So, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be challenging for everybody. It's it's uh, going to be highly competitive hockey. Uh, very short runway to start the year. Again, everybody's in the same boat, but a very short camp with no preseason games. Uh, that'll be a different experience uh, for a lot of players. So, uh, again, we're going to go through this together, uh, every team, uh, all the players and staff, and and try to find solutions and answers and, and ways to win hockey games. But 
sure beats the alternative and, and uh, we can't wait for it. Yeah, like you said, uh, you know, the rivalry aspect of it, the, the three words I wrote down were rivalries will be renewed, um, either exacerbated or taken to the next level, as with a team like Pittsburgh or now that maybe the Islanders too after a playoff series and or even started or maybe going back, there was a rivalry years ago with Buffalo in the days of Matthew Barnaby and Dominic Hoshik, maybe that gets renewed in a lot of ways, but facing the same, you know, division opponents all season long, it's really incumbent upon the team to go off to a good start because you're going to be playing each other essentially each night and wins in regulation. Will, I imagine will be even more important. Exactly. Well, every, you know, in a normal season, you play a lot of games outside your division and a lot of games outside your conference and, and you could lose a game to one of those teams and, Teams in your division could also lose, and, and you're not losing ground. Now, obviously, every win you have uh, means your opponent's losing, and every loss you have means your opponent's gaining. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's not the year to have an extended uh, down downturn for sure. You want to start well. You certainly want to at least be in the middle of the pack to start and, and, and not have to chase all year. Um, you know, if you have a rash of injuries or if you have good fortune uh, from an injury perspective, that could have a – uh, you know, a big, uh, a big impact on, on the ultimate results. So, you know, 56 games is, um, you know, look, it's two thirds of a normal season. It's going to be, uh, again, it's there for all of us. And, and we're hopeful that we have the depth and, and we have the experience that we can uh, find a way to be consistently good throughout the year. And, and uh, you're not going to win every game, but find a way to, to, again, to avoid the long losing streaks, string together a couple good winning streaks and, and just find a way to uh, uh, just stay ahead of a bunch of teams because it's they're all good. It, it, it's uh, it was a great division last year, and and it's certainly uh, just as good this year. Yeah, if not better, even. I mean, you look at this East. You look at the four divisions. And if I was you, I'd have been lobbying. Put me in the West. I'll take the travel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some other teams, maybe in Colorado and St. Louis, did that. But um, you mentioned the word injuries, and you have a couple guys that are returning to regular season play, or at least hopefully. Uh, the updates on Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick. I know you haven't gotten them in the building yet and going through physicals and everything, um, but in, you know, your communication with the players uh, throughout the off season, where do things stand with those two in particular? Yeah, well, Oscar, uh, we'll start with him. He, he's doing well. I mean, obviously he was return, uh, cleared to return to play in the bubble and he played, uh, you know, game six and game seven against the Islanders. And he's uh, been able to, to uh, work out um, this off season and, and get a lot of muscle uh, back on and try to get his hockey coordination back uh, as well as his hockey conditioning, but just kind of retraining the, you know, the muscles and the hand eye and, and uh, you know, working on a shot and doing things like that. So he, he feels uh, good and, and, and he's ready to go. So he had a uh, normal off season per se. He did. Yeah. Completely normal. And uh, he, he said it took him a while sort of to re retrain his body, you know, with all the treatments he went through, he did lose some muscle mass and, and uh, he had to get get his strength back and, and regain that muscle mass. And he, he feels comfortable that his, his body's sort of where it was prior to his illness. So, uh, which is a good thing. And it takes time. And uh, and I'm sure, you know, he'll be better towards the middle to the later the uh, in the later part of the season than than the beginning. It's just timing and and getting your game conditioning back. But but he's in a good place. And again, I thought he played really well in Game Seven in particular against the Islanders. Yeah. And, and he feels he's at a whole different level from from that game, so that that's exciting. And and Nolan's doing well. Um, you know, like all our players, he'll he'll undergo his uh, training camp physical, and um, and the doctors will make an assessment at that time. But 
you know, he's, he's been scrimmaging, he's been skating, he's been working out. Um, you know, he feels good, uh, you, you know, you know, there's no guarantees in life and, but I remain hopeful that, uh, you know, he'll be a player for us this year. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing too. Some going, having gone through something like that can really, and being away from the game can almost add another level of hunger to being in back in the game. It can, you, sometimes you don't know what you got till it's gone. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. And maybe, you know, that can kick him into a different gear as well. If he is able to go, you had, you had some players that you didn't bring back. A couple of them were unrestricted free agents and Nate Thompson and Derek Grandy came in and served the, the organization well, uh, but also the, the retirement of Matt Niskanen. You opted to bring in Eric Gustafson in the off season as the signing. Uh, he's a left shot, but he plays the right side or has played the right side and played it well. How do you kind of envision trying to, to fill the void of Matt Niskanen on the ice, off the ice, and in particular on that top pair alongside uh, Ivan Provorov. Yeah, well, he'll be difficult to replace, and, yeah. and uh, we've made no bones about that. He was uh, a very good fit for our team, not just stylistically playing with uh, Provorov, but uh, you know, good fit in the room, a Stanley Cup winner, a longtime veteran player who was very close to, to 1,000 games uh, in the NHL a guy that produced offensively and could shut down defensively. So there just aren't many players like him, uh, kind of an old school, low maintenance guy, led by example, didn't have a lot to say, but when he had something to say, everybody listened, including, including the coaches and me too. Uh, but he, he was great. And, and, you know, from a leadership standpoint, there'll be opportunity for other players to step up. And, and, uh, you know, for example, a guy like Ivan Provorov, you know, now he's entering, uh, his fifth season, and, and uh, you know he's a young man that uh, is growing into obviously one of our top players, if, if not our top player. Uh, a guy that logs a lot of minutes, and, and he's a player that uh, you know is, is going to take on more uh, leadership responsibilities as he goes along. Same with the Travis Konechny, uh, you know, obviously same with uh, Sanheim, uh, Carter Hart. All these young players are important parts of our team, and so there's opportunities for them to grow and. And the coaches will have to figure out how the pairings work. I mean, we're the good news is uh, uh, obviously Gustafson, as you mentioned, can play the right side, but so can Gustafson Bear, uh, so can Travis Sandheim. Um, you know, we have a lot of different looks we can have, and there may be situations where if we're up a goal, uh, Provorov has a has one partner, and if we're down a goal, maybe he has a, a different type of partner. So uh, we do have good depth. We we have. Um, you know, I think eight guys coming into camp, if you count Mark Friedman, that I think are, uh, you know, ready to go and ready to play. We have other players that uh, will provide good depth for us, whether, you know, it's Weatherspoon, Zamula, Bigra, Prosser. Uh, so, you know, we feel we're we're pretty deep on, on defense and, and uh, we'll let things play out. Organizational depth right now, Chuck, is going to play a huge role because, you know, you have expanded rosters. That's one thing. And with what we're, you know, predicting to be a pretty condensed schedule, um, you you know, guys are just going to be attrition. And it's not only that less games doesn't mean it's easier on the player. It's the condensed games that maybe make it more difficult on players. Um, so you may have to go a little deeper than than normal on coaches' decisions and who's fresh. But you have guys like Nicholas Albay-Kubel made a big jump last year. Uh, Connor Bunneman, another one of those guys. You have some young guys trying to, to grab spots in camps like Morgan Frost and the, the signing of Lena Sandine and, and others. When you're evaluating kind of through what is a very short camp with no exhibition games, how much more difficult is that process to determine who's going to be on the expanded roster, the opening night roster, who's going to play and conceivably what will be in an AHL season at some point, which there's some question marks around that. 
How's that process of uh, evaluation going to be for you? All, very different for sure. It'll be different. It'll, it'll have to be an ongoing process. We'll have to, uh, you know, do the best we can through camp, uh, through scrimmages and practices to make evaluations. And then uh, after that, uh, into the season, you know, we'll have the ability. Um, we do have a little bit of cap space. We'll have the ability to, to move guys in and out if need be and, and take different looks and, and, and uh, opportunities started to take looks at different players. So, uh, you, you know, again, it, it's it, with, uh, with the added depth that we've had over the last year, uh, as some young players have improved, it, it should be a difficult hockey club to make for a young player that wasn't on the team last year. And that's, that's what you're striving for. You're striving to have a strong club where it's difficult to make the team. And, and I think we have a pretty good group of returning players uh, that are going to make life difficult for, you know, guys to step in and grab their spots. So that's what you want, but, you know, we have to be prepared for, for crazy circumstances this year. Hopefully we can avoid, uh, you know, massive COVID outbreaks and we can keep our players healthy. And, uh, but, you know, I, I do believe we have the depth that if we run into some situations uh, along the way that aren't ideal, that we'll have enough players and enough good players to continue to, to win hockey games. Yeah, you're, you're a bit in a, a difficult yet envious position. You have players developing on, on pretty in, incredible arcs. A guy like Zamula, uh, Cam York, who's playing in the World Juniors, is on that top pairing defense for Team USA and a captain on that team. And so you have guys still on the come as well. Um, when you look at you know this team going into this year, and um, you make the signing of Phil Myers, and by the way, I mean, I think you got incredible value on this contract. Like I look at the player, I know he's an undrafted player and he wasn't arbitration eligible. When I look at the, the, the term of this deal and I look at it, yeah, he may be able to cash in at the end of it and he should. And we all hope he does because that means his development's going even further. But talk about the contract to Phil Myers. What the, the growth he showed last year to me was uh, meteoric. Yeah, he really, um, really took a big step forward last year and, I really like that pairing. He and, and mm -hmm. Travis Sanheim seem to have pretty good chemistry. They're both big, rangy um, uh, def defensemen that can both, you know, defend pretty well and move the puck pretty well. They both like to get up on the ice. They both can shoot it. I mean, Phil has an absolute bomb. Travis mm -hmm. has got a good shot too, but, you know, you know, I really like that pairing. And I think that's a, a pairing that are, we can continue to grow with as a team. And, but Phil, uh, Phil continues to improve. I mean, he was a late bloomer and junior and, uh, you know, he took a couple of years of, of development, obviously in the American League, really to before he could he could step into the NHL, and and, and that's a good path. I mean, he's he's uh, made every step along the way, and and I think he's ready to continue to grow. He's clearly a top four defenseman on our team this year, and um, he's a guy that, uh, especially with Matt Niskanen leaving, I think we'll be able to pick up some penalty kill uh, duties this year. He did not uh, kill all that much last year. And, so there's an opportunity for increased role and ice time for him. And we're just excited about it. The, you know, the contract is, I think it worked well for both sides. And, um, you, you know, because of his time in the American League, he, he has 71 regular season games uh, to his credit right now. Uh, so he's still a, a relatively inexperienced player. But coming out of this contract, he'll be 26 uh, one year before he gets to be an unrestricted free agent. And my hope, and I say this in all sincerity, is that we have to pay him some money and uh, yep. to keep him going forward because that'll be great things for him and, and for this franchise. You want to pay great players because yeah. they're great players. That's that's the best problem to have. Um, this year, for example, though, you're coming into the year with something that's maybe the hottest commodity in the National Hockey League, and that would be cap space. 
it could be win the heart this year, cap space could win the heart uh, or the Lindsay. Um, but you're coming in with a little cap space. And for people that don't know, um, coming into a season with cap space, it's something that in a way kind of grows throughout a season. And especially in a 56 game season, it grows even more. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so talk about having that, that tool kind of in your, in your chest to be able to deploy at some point if you may need it. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, first of all, um, you know, we have enough cap space where we could be paying up to 25 players at, at one time. So if you did have a situation where, uh, you know, the virus spread through our team or you had three or four guys with groin poles because of the condensed schedule, whatever it may be, uh, we can avoid going into LTI. We can avoid doing some things that could handcuff us down the road. And uh, we should have pretty good uh, flexibility. There's a lot of teams that right now can't even uh, put 20 players on their roster, never mind 25. So that'll give us some early advantages, I think, compared to a lot of teams with, with roster adjustment. And, and hopefully the, the amount of money we have to start the year will accrue. And, you know, we may have upwards of seven, eight, nine million at the deadline that, uh, uh, you know, you can get into a, a couple of pretty good hockey players if need be, if, if, if you want to make some adjustments to your lineup. And, and that was really the decision we made instead of maybe going out and signing one more forward, forward, which we did talk about, uh, why not see what we have first? Why not see how Oscar and, and Nolan do, first of all? Why not see where Farabee is, where Bunneman is, where Morgan Frost and Twerinsky and Lazinski and Allison and Sandin and all these players? Let's, let's see where they're at. And uh, before we maybe spend some money on a, on a hole that we, we may not even have to fill. And uh, as we saw last year with, with Nolan, uh, never getting back to playing and, and with uh, Oscar getting ill halfway through the year, sometimes things happen that you can't predict, um, you know, and, and uh, you have to adjust. And if we have the cap space, uh, you know, at least we, we have the ability to do whatever we need to do uh, if, if situations arise. Do you anticipate before the season starts on January 13th or in season that it'll be an active trade market in the NHL be, because of what you just talked about, that there's a lot of teams that are, I mean, everybody's in it not everybody, but just, you know, a lot of the, the top end teams are in a really tight cap situation and there may be tremendous value to be able to pry players away simply because of the, of, you know, the ledger. I think there has to be some activity because teams, you know, there's several teams that need to get cap compliance, whether they're, they have players that are injured that they can use LTI or they make a trade or, uh, or they carry fewer players on the roster to try to, uh, to, 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 uh, to try to make it work. But, uh, there should be some activity, I think, early in the season. And then I think as the year goes on, you know, it'll it'll probably be a typical year where the teams that are out will look to move and the teams that are competing will look to add. It, you know, the question is just how many teams will be out. You know, you may have a lot of teams jammed right in and, and uh, uh, very close in the standings. I don't know how much separation there's going to be in a lot of divisions. There, you know, look at our division. I you know, obviously four teams are going to make it, four teams aren't. But my guess is there's going to be some teams that don't make it that, that'll have good records and, and be quite close to making it. So it's it's uh, it's going to be competitive and, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the trade market works later on, but there should be some activity here in the next few weeks. Um, goaltending in a condensed schedule is going to be one of those, another question mark. You, you want to roll your starter out as much as you can because games mean more and you don't want to get behind in the standings and be chasing it. Um, but you opted to bring Brian Elliott back on a one-year deal once again. And I've been a huge advocate of, of Brian Elliott because I think the veteran goaltender that accepts that role as a bit of a mentor and can still play really well. We saw it last year when Carter got hurt. Carter Hart got hurt. 
he played extremely well, Chuck. Um, talk about your, you know, your tandem with Carter and Brian, but but also if need be, you have a guy in Alex Line who gave you some quality starts last year. Got a big win for you guys against a really good club in, in Colorado last year. Um, the goaltending often leads the way, uh, and uh, you have to bring Brian Elliott back. Talk about that group. Yeah, goaltending is everything. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a lot of our game, believe me. But we're we're uh, we're fortunate. We have we have quality depth. We have good goaltenders. Obviously, you know if you look at Carter, I mean, I think his his uh, track record for his age speaks for itself. He certainly uh, continues to evolve and improve, and 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 he's already a good goaltender in our league. Brian Elliott uh, was tremendous for us last year, especially during that you know the period you mentioned when Carter was injured. Alex Lyons, a guy now that's got several years of pro experience under his belt. He's won games in this league. And uh, the way the rules are, he'll be part of our taxi squad and he'll be a player that's around our team all year. And, and, and with the uh, virus, there's no longer the emergency backup goalie. And we remember, of course, what happened in Toronto and Carolina last year when the guy came out of the press box and helped Carolina beat the Maple Leafs. Well, because of COVID and, and the need to have everybody in, you know, on our team be tested on a regular basis, there's no longer the emergency goaltender. So we're, we're all going to carry three, at least three goalies all year. And, and so Alex will be available to us all season. And, but, it, you know, we're going to need, um, we're going to need, you know, certainly two and, and, uh, and possibly three goalies this year to win games for us to get in. Uh, our schedule's coming out later on uh, today. I've, I've looked at it. Uh, we're actually really fortunate. We, the number of back-to-backs we have this year is not nearly as bad as what I'd anticipated. It's uh, on a percentage basis, way much better than, than last season even. So, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, uh, you, you know, having fewer back-to-backs than anticipated should give the coaches a little bit more flexibility as to who uh, you're going to play. Because typically on a back-to-back, AV likes to, to play both guys. So, yeah. Uh, if you have a guy going running hot, you might be able to play him a little bit more if you were back to back. So, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, no preseason for the goaltenders, no preseason games, I should say. That's going to be interesting. Uh, it's the same for every team, but uh, you know, often goalies are like pitchers. Sometimes they need a little bit more time to get prepared. So that could be a challenge for, for certain guys. Some guys may handle it better than others. So it, it's going to be uh really intriguing the first few weeks of the year, I think, until everybody gets up to proper game speed. Yeah, you know, it's stunning because when they came back in the original return to play, I thought that the goaltender would kind of struggle a little bit, you know, not seeing fastballs and cutters, basically, right, as a batter. And then all of a sudden, the playoffs started and and the goaltenders were great. I'm going like, wow, this kind of defies logic. So I guess just goaltending is just so good right now. Um, I thought the union maybe maybe should have fought harder for the the e-bug, to be honest with you. (laughs) <laughs> and then I saw unlimited goalies. And I'm going, Chuck, you have my number. Give me a call. Time you to a one day. <laughs> but but um, I'm looking forward to it. I know everybody else is looking forward to it. Um, and talking to Elaine, everybody's chomping at the bit to get the game back on the ice. It seems counterintuitive to, to say, I can't wait to get back to work because nobody likes to work except us in hockey. And we love to work and we can't wait for the game to get back on the ice. Thanks for doing this, Chuck. Best of luck this season. Uh, I know it's going to be uh, trying uh, at times, but hopefully as we get into the summer and you know that cup comes out in July, maybe we're all a part of it. And, and that's where it leads to, because like you said, and like I've been saying as well, it, just because it's different doesn't mean it's not an opportunity for something to do something really special. And this group could be poised to do that. So we're hoping to do, but yeah, thank you very much, Jason. Uh, special thanks to Chuck Fletcher for joining us here on Flyers Daily. It is schedule release day and joining Flyers Daily right now, 
uh, for a very special edition. This is, uh, I guess, a Christmas Eve edition or Holiday Eve edition. That's the politically correct way to say it. Uh, Brian Smith joins us and Bill Meltzer. How you going? How's it going, guys? Uh, scheduled day is always a fun day, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a different time of year to be doing it. Normally, uh, this is the time of year when the Flyers are getting ready to go on the road for 10 days and then the rest of us can hunker down and, and get ready to stay up till one in the morning watching games. But uh, instead, we've got um, finally a, a roadmap for a season and uh, you know we're going to be uh, I think I saw 116 straight days across the NHL of, uh, of at least one game. So it's going to be a, a heck of a first half of, uh, of 2021 here. How about that, Bill? Four days in the season with only one game, three game days with only two games, no days from January 13th until May 8th with no games. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty wild. You know, I mean, we got I guess we got used to that to, to some degree. <laughs> Remember in the bubble it was crazy. It was it was almost there's such a thing as too much hockey. <laughs> it was just <laughs> it was just like all day and all night, you know, and those, some of those games went all those multiple overtimes. This is this will be, you know, this will be a little bit more uh bite size but yeah every day there, there's something going on so you know if you're not playing there's something to watch in the standings particularly the way that all the schedules in you know in the division you know with the you're watching for you know you're watching how the teams around you are doing every night there's someone who'll be playing almost you always well coming up on january 13th it is opening night there will be five games in the national hockey league on that evening uh the flyers will be the only team in the eastern division in the East, I guess, that will be playing that night. Obviously, they'll be starting off in fine fashion with a little uh, two-game set. I guess we can call them sets now for the NHL. A two-game set at the Wells Fargo Center against the Penguins. So, Schmidty, when you look at it, to, to, to get hockey back, but to start off with the Penguins, which, by the way, was a team we weren't sure was going to be in the East originally. There was talk that they would be in a division with Columbus and maybe some other teams, but the NHL smartened up and they knew that that rivalry couldn't go a, a season or at least a regular season without being played out. So you get to start with the Pens. What a way to start. Yeah, it's uh, certainly different circumstances as to why there's a shortened season, but this is actually a little bit of deja vu. Last time there was a shortened season in 2013 because of that uh, brief work stoppage the Flyers opened that season at home against Pittsburgh so it's a bit of a similar situation with this one but these little two game sets I think are really going to find things uh, very very interesting you have seen some comparison out there to the American Hockey League we get a lot of these in the AHL uh, and back when uh, the the Phantoms were in Philadelphia they were playing Hershey you know 12 times a year lots of uh, home and homes and things like that. That'll be the one thing that's a little bit different is to play the two team, uh, the same team twice in the same location. Um, so that, that's definitely going to be a little bit of an interesting scenario to see how that uh, enters into the equation, because that this is one thing that I don't think anybody's done before, at least not in a very long time in terms of planning for these games. It's like a college schedule almost. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see what kind of strategies evolve from this, uh, from a, a game planning perspective from Elaine Vigneault and his staff, if it, if it alters anything at all, but it is going to be a little bit of a different circumstance. Yeah. I love the fact that it's like, it has a playoff feel to it because you play a team twice yeah. in a row in your home building during the playoffs. But Bill, I was stunned. Frankly, I was stunned when I talked to Chuck Fletcher earlier when I spoke to him and recorded that interview that everybody just heard moment, just moments ago, um, the schedule had not been released, and I talked to Chuck after we were done the interview, and he told me that they only had eight back-to-backs. I was expecting more back-to-backs, especially when you see how many sets of two games in a row in the same location you have. But the NHL, 
they managed to work into a lot of breaks in there and to only have eight back to backs and considering and Chuck cited this as well the lack of travel that they really have to endure through this season it's kind of the complete opposite of last year where they were around the globe and it was a really tough schedule and a lot of back to backs and a lot of three games in four days uh, I, I think looking at this schedule, you got to be pretty happy if you're a Flyer fan. Oh, sure. You know, I, I, just from a travel standpoint, you know, they don't ever go a, any further north than Boston, no further south than D.C., and no further west than Pittsburgh. And uh, with the general lack of, of back-to-backs, and as you were just pointing out, you know, you don't uh, – you're not – I mean, it's it kind of the whole league is in the same boat with this. But, you know, when you look at a, when you look at a typical schedule, it's not just – what teams you're playing is when you catch them. Um, you know, for example, you might be coming back off of your your Pacific Coast road trip, and your your legs are a little tired, and all of a sudden, you know, you have a you you know you have a, a President's Trophy candidate coming coming to your building your first game home, or or you know or check your mail that. yet? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or, or you know, just those fatigue factor games where you're playing back to back or. Uh, you know, three and four, and the other team, the other team's been rested for three nights. So it's going to be a lot more equal footing, I think, for teams. And you know, those those fatigue factor excuses really, really aren't going to be there. So those are those are all intriguing things to watch. And you know, listen, these are these are the most intense rivals the Flyers have by and large, right, across the league. I mean, they're they're all in the Flyers division. Um, you know, Chuck Fletcher likened the old Patrick division. That's really really kind of what it is, right? That's that's kind of uh, how it's set up, and I, I, you know, in rolling through rolling through my mind, I don't think the Flyers though have ever been in the same division as Boston before. They played obviously in the playoffs, um, but I, you know, I don't I don't recall the Flyers ever being in the same division as Boston because they were in, they were in the Adams, and then they did the you know when they were doing the Atlantic, and then whatever, then the Metro. Right. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't I don't recall playing in the same division as Boston before, so that'll be that'll be a little bit different. And the other thing, too, with the back-to-backs is that none of them involve travel. Every single one of them is in the same city. Only one of them is not in the same building. They have one back-to-back where they play the Rangers on one night and the first night, and then they go over and play the Islanders uh, the second night. So that'll be a, just a terrible drive of about 20 minutes, I think, from building to building. I doubt they'll even change hotels. But everything else is uh, is in the same building. In fact, five of the, se- uh, five of the eight, I think it is, are um, – uh, yeah, five of the eight are in Philadelphia. So they'll be here in their own beds playing back-to-back, playing the same team back-to-back. But, uh, you know, they, there's no travel at all involved in these. That's usually where you start getting dragged down a bit when you're playing, uh, uh, you know, a game on the road, then you have to come home and play the next night. And a lot of times it's not even 24 hours. It's 23 or 22 hours sometimes between games. Like you said, Bill, sometimes you come home and the other team is there waiting for you because their schedule has brought them there a day earlier. I know that was uh, one of the things that always used to grate on Paul Holmgren. He always hated when uh, it was a situation where the Flyers were coming home uh, to a, to, to their own city and the other team was already there. So, uh, you know, in addition to not having many of them, they're not going to have to uh, keep up a huge travel schedule either. Yeah. I, I recall last year, I think it was in maybe early December or even maybe November where the Flyers were in Boston on a Saturday night, went to overtime in a shootout, by the way, and won. And then the next day we're in Toronto. So you had to couple that also with customs. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're getting in late, you play an overtime game, and then you're traveling to another city in customs and getting in and you played another overtime back-to-back nights that, that happened last year. Um, w- one of the things I think is really interesting about this schedule 
And, you know, you see the Flyers open up at home with two against Pittsburgh and then two at the home building against Buffalo. And even some of the teams that aren't in their division right now, like Boston, like Buffalo, there's so much history with these teams. So, like, I, when I was talking to Chuck, I kind of termed it this way. You know, there'll be rivalries that'll be renewed. There'll be rivalries that are taken to the next level, like the Penguins. And then there'll be rivalries that are, are started. And when you, you look at rivalries that may be renewed, you know, there was a lot of history between the Flyers and the Buffalo Sabres. And there's obviously a lot of significant history between the Flyers and the Bruins. But the, when you look at Buffalo in particular, who they'll see in that second two-game set, um, you, you look back to 2004 in the game against the Ottawa Senators and Robert Esch is fighting, uh, I believe it was, uh, Patrick Laleem and, and you know, and, and Rob Ray going at it with Donald Brashear and the most penalty minutes in the history of one game for the Philadelphia Flyers. So look, when you look at all of these opponents, you look at a lot of rivalries that may have gone dormant for a bit, but they're going to get restoked in a big way right now, aren't they, Bill? Oh, no question. You know, um, you know, just, uh, well, for one thing, the two teams the Flyers won the cup against are now in their division. But 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 even if you go more recently, I mean, in, you know, in the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s, the Flyers played Buffalo in the playoffs multiple times, right? 95, mm-hmm. 97. Um, they had the, the series in 2000. Uh, and then... Buffalo, oh, six, I think, right? 2006. So, yeah. you know, and I mean, obviously Buffalo, Buffalo kind of hit some hard times uh, and then they, they haven't been a playoff team in a long time, but this is, a, this is a much improved Buffalo team. Now, uh, you know, they, they still have the young core they have, you know, they had in place and are developing. They've also added guys like, like Taylor Hall. So all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're in the Flyers division and you could see, you know, you could see a lot of, uh, hostilities brewing over the course of the season you know and and the Bruins the Flyers have a have a good rivalry with the Bruins anyway you know um besides the besides the back-to-back playoff series in 2010 and 2011 it just seems like the season series every year and the Flyers have had some recent success against the Bruins but there was a long time where you know the the Bruins were just a, just a real bear for the Flyers to deal with whether it was whether it was in their building or in Philly you know, the Flyers have had more success recently, so those will be really intriguing games to, you know, to, to watch unfold and, and see, see, you know, see what develops with all that. But, Schmidt, no division can boast that six of the eight teams in the division were in the return to play. The East does that. Yeah. The only two teams that weren't were the aforementioned Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils. Both teams should be improved. Now, the Rangers got in because they expanded it. Uh, but obviously they won the lottery, and they're a team on the rise. And you know, Igor Shosturkin, uh, you know, played 12 games last year. We'll see what he is this year. But uh, th- when you look at this, and th- th- you look at a schedule, you go, okay, is there a, an area of this schedule where we can catch our breath? And there's not. <laughs> because yeah. while there's games every day for 160 or whatever, how many games you said, you're going to have to be watching because these teams are all playing against each other night in and night out. So any regulation win or loss is a four-point swing in the standings. It's going yeah, yeah. That's the thing. There is no there. There are no uh, situations where it's uh, oh, we're playing the Western Conference team. Uh, you know, we can uh, maybe uh, rest a couple of guys and then you know play for the extra point in overtime or, or stuff like that. That doesn't exist in this schedule. So that is uh, that is something you mentioned uh, again. Uh, the, um, the the frequency of everything. Uh, the, the Flyers only have one spot in the schedule. It's in the third week of February, where they play once in five days. They have a, they will never play, they will never have more than a two day break 
uh, between games, knocking on wood. If they do have one, it's because of a uh, uh, COVID situation, not because of uh, the way the schedule came out. Um, but they, uh, you know, they, they won't have more than two days between games. And uh, the only time where they've got a game that's preceded by a two-day break and followed by one is that spot there in the in the third week of uh, February. It's around February 21st, the two days before and the two days after. So other than that, it's going to be a lot of uh, on-off, 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 or threes and fours and stuff like that. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, this seems that this team over the recent years has uh, done best when it's playing regularly and doesn't have to sit for five days or doesn't have to hit an all-star break or a bye week or something like that. Um, so hopefully that is going to uh, to bode well for this team. One, one question that I have, yeah. jump in, Jason, is you you know you have some teams that you know like uh, like the Capitals. Peter Laviolette is there. Yep. Short training camps. So there's not a lot of time to install systems, and there's not going to be a ton of practice time either to to correct issues either. Just because you have so much turnaround between games, practices are going to have to be sure they're going to have to be efficient. So you know if you're if you're getting you know if you're get, getting a little bit off track as a team, I mean you you have video, you have whatever, you're already, you already know your opponents. That helps because you know as as uh, Chuck Fletcher had said, you're not, you're not going to need a lot of pre scouting for opponents. You're going to know their opponents and their rosters and their you know their systems and their style. But I mean for for teams that have to incorporate, you know multiple new players install new systems or whatever you know there there's not a lot of time to, to fine-tune so that you know I, I think teams that have a lot of continuity and the flyers generally do have have continuity there's not a ton of turnover on the roster so um you know i i actually think those teams have a little bit of an advantage and that's exactly where i was going to ask you bill because uh when you look at the situation the turnover that the flyers do have obviously the loss of niskanen is one thing but in all the areas where they lost a player, you look at Derek Grant, you look at Nate Thompson, you look at Tyler Pitlick, all three of those holes pretty much are being filled, not by a free agent, by somebody that's been in the organization or played on the team last year. So whether that's an elevated role for Morgan Frost if he's on the team or an elevated role for Connor Bunneman, an elevated role for maybe Tanner Lashinsky coming out of college, that's different. But uh, – for the most part, you have guys that have been in the organization, in the system, uh, so that can play a part. One of the other byproducts of the only eight back-to-backs and the, the rest days, and Schmidt talked about the, the, the period where they have two days between games, is that you know a lot of us believe that with all the back-to-backs, your starting goaltender, your number one, was maybe going to get a little bit less percentage of games but with the way this schedule lays out, the Flyers are in a good situation with only the eight back-to-backs to be able to play Carter Hart perhaps a little more than they anticipated. Because I think Chuck Fletcher, in my, in my speaking with him, judging by his facial expressions and the way he termed it, I think he was a little surprised that he only had the eight back-to-backs. And that will affect the goaltending and the rotation of it going throughout the season. Oh, no question. And, I mean, it, it gives your – you know, it, it gives the coach a chance to to play the hot hand a little bit too. Yeah. You know, sometimes the schedule is going to dictate what your rotation is, so you can actually you can you can actually determine your stars on a, on a merit based system as to who's been playing well. You know, much of the time. So that's uh, you know, and that's that's uh, not just the Flyers' benefit. Obviously, that's to, to any team's benefit. Schmitty, when you look at this schedule, and you look at some of the the, the teams that they're going to be dealing with in this East division. And we just said it, only two of the teams weren't in the expanded playoff field last year, New Jersey and Buffalo. But you look at a team like the New York Rangers and 
you know, when the Flyers and the Rangers are good, the rivalry means more, right? It's like when the yeah. Penguins and the Flyers are good or, or like when the Eagles are great and the Cowboys stink, it doesn't mean as much as when both teams are playing for something. The Rangers look like a team on the rise. The Islanders eliminated the Flyers last year and went to the conference final. You look at a team like Boston and the history, they were the President's Trophy winning team last year. Uh, I mean, up and down, Washington and the Flyers are battling for the top spot last year. Where's the intrigue for you in this schedule? What's the biggest element of intrigue other than the hockey's coming back? Because we all have that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, again, kind of uh, hard to to foresee exactly what um, might be a, a spot in the schedule that is going to be, uh, um, you know, anything like what we've seen before. Because, again, with all these games where you've got, uh, you know, two meetings against the same team um you know it's just a uh a, a new a new thing for you know a lot of nhl people uh again the only time you see this you mentioned it is in is in the playoff situation or in like college when you would go to a, a town and play two games on a weekend and, and come back so that's going to be uh to me that's the most intriguing thing is uh is how you approach these games especially the second game in uh, in a set between the two teams um is there any difference is there uh, much change to the game plan um you know that sort of thing uh, as you go through the schedule like you mentioned jay there's a whole lot of um you know whole, whole lot of teams here that uh, were successful last year even the rangers um you know uh were a team that uh, you know they got into the return to play but they were yeah, they didn't win a game, and they were they were well outside of the um, of the playoff picture uh, when the league shut down in March. Um, you know, they got in basically because the the league needed to uh, to to somehow you know give uh, the folks in the Western Conference a chance to be equitable, and that's what led to twelve teams on each side. But uh, you know, they've obviously done a lot to try to. Uh, to, to shore things up there. And you kind of mentioned it, it is a, a little bit nicer when the rivalry is good. I, I do recall uh, that, that uh, home and home against the Rangers in late February last season, where the Flyers just pasted them in both games. It almost felt like, you know, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> like this is, this is, this is fun to an extent, but you know, you want the Rangers to fight back <laughs> or something, you know, you want these games to be scored them 12 a little bit five. closer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back it's like, back, this yeah. is, this is not a normal, Flyers, Rangers, uh, Flyers, Rangers, back to back. So I, you know, what's really intriguing to me is that you're, you're talking about this division being as good as it is um, because of the way the playoffs are going to be structured. There is a possibility of two teams from this division, I believe meeting in the Stanley cup final, uh, like the old days, <laughs> like the last time the Flyers and the uh, Islanders met in the cup final in 1980 out of the same division. Uh, you know, obviously the, uh, changing things around prevented that from happening, I believe ever since then. But um, I believe that is a possibility this year. So it is uh, that that's going to be a little bit intriguing too, to see how the playoffs fall after uh, all this is said and done. Bill beating teams twice in a row is very difficult in the NHL. It was one of the things in the, in the second half of last year that I went, mm, this is different because as the flyers went on that nine game win streak, they beat, a home-and-home home against Columbus. There was a game in the middle what they that was against the Devils that they lost. But um, And then they went on the run from there forward. Yeah. They beat the, the Rangers in a back-to-back. They beat Washington twice in a row. 
Um, beating a team back to back is difficult, and you're not going to be able to just split back to backs and, and be able to be successful in this division unless there's the overtime win or the overtime loss. But um, to, to do that is going to be very difficult. Uh, are there certain, you know, maybe advantages with teams that are younger that that could excel in that regard to make that back to back, or is it maybe a veteran thing because it kind of goes back to a little bit of playoff feel in a way no i i think that it's uh you know it's, it's as much about mental toughness as anything else you know you're you're if you if you drop that first game and you find yourself trailing early in the next one it, it can be easy for a team to get down on itself and go go oh here we go again i i, I think yeah. maybe veteran teams may have a, a little bit of an advantage but I, I really think it comes down to you know it really comes down to the character and makeup of the team, however, you know, however the composition might, might spread out on the team. But I, I, I think that, you know, particularly, okay. So let's say, let's say you get off to a rough start, you know, against the caps or against the, and the Islanders, the Islanders are a good example because the Flyers lost to the, the playoffs last year, you know, and you drop a game or two early to them, you really, you really can't have a snowball effect in, in subsequent meetings when you're playing a team eight times in a season, that's a lot of points at stake. You you basically have to forget the last meeting and, and roll from there, um, because if you have a if you have a season series where a team dominates you, you know that that, that could be all she wrote in terms of not just uh, not just your position relative to them in the standings, just your position overall and trying to get into that top four and get it into the playoffs because you're playing the same teams in your division in the playoffs in the first two rounds. It's a great point, and the Flyers' record. Uh, against the teams in their division, in this now new division, I guess we should call it, the East. Uh, we talked about this, Bill, in the last episode, uh, and this stat courtesy of Jordan Hall uh, from NBC Sports Philadelphia. I mean, the Flyers had an outstanding record against these teams in particular. They went 13-5-3 against the Bruins, Sabres, Devils, Islanders, Rangers, and, and Penguins, and, and Capitals. So not that a, a prior season is indicative of a season to come. We don't know that. But one thing, and Shmir, I want to ask you both about this because, you know, I, I believe that Vegas always is pretty smart because they don't have a dog in the race. They just, they set lines to, to create, to make money and to create, divide the public. And when I see the odds for the division, the East division, right now the Boston Bruins are five to two, so plus 250 to win the division. The Flyers right now are three to one. Plus three hundred to win the division. The Penguins at plus at five to one. Uh, the Capitals at plus five twenty-five. The Islanders at plus six hundred. Rangers seven hundred. Uh, Sabers at eleven hundred. And the Devils at sixteen hundred. You might as well make that twenty-five hundred for the Devils. Um, but when you look at it, are you a little surprised to see the Flyers? That's the number two odd team to win the East here in, for uh, according to Vegas, Bry. Uh, I, I have to say a little surprised. Yeah, but, I was um, when, when you uh, <laughs> when you look at who else is in the East. Um, you know, you, you can definitely see it. The the one thing that the Flyers are going to have to do is figure out the New York Islanders, though, because uh, what, what did you say? The 13-5-3, and three, I think it was, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned against the East last year. Uh, of those uh, of those eight that they didn't win, three of them were against the Islanders. And yeah. obviously, we saw how the playoff series went. Um, the uh, the Flyers have uh, uh, something like a a three and 14 record against the Islanders in the last two seasons. When you include all the preseason games, they play against each other. Um, we got to take those, you out. know, so you, you do have to take them out, but at, at some, at some point it's almost like, 
and I think Chuck might have mentioned this in his year-end press conference last year. It's almost like do you do you see the logo and start to freeze up or something? You know, they just got to get, you know, they just got to get get past that uh, mentally. I think, and you know, they'll have them eight times this year, so that's a good opportunity to to do that. But you know, when you're looking to pull teams out of the Eastern Conference in general. I, you know, I, I got to think the Flyers are right there with everybody else. And I think folks are starting to notice, um, you know, with uh, with Carter Hart coming along and having the playoff run that he had last year. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the team really not missing much of a beat in terms of, uh, you know, subtractions with, with the uh, obvious exception of, of Matt Niskanen. Um, you know, it's uh, it's easy to see where they might have a, a good shot at uh, getting something going here. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw those odds initially, and I was like, I can justify that. Like, that makes sense to me. But I was just a little surprised to see it coming out of Vegas. All right, I'm going to put you guys on the spot, um, and we're going to go on the record, all right? So we're going to do kind of the league awards for the Flyers for this 56-game season, which starts coming up, I mean, just three weeks away, right? Less than three weeks away. So the MVP for the Flyers in the 2021 NHL season, <laughs> regular season, Will be Bill Carter Hart. Wow, yeah, it's tough to disagree with that, Schmidt. Yeah, yeah mean, we, no, may, we may have to I'm go not... across the board chalk here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not going to give him the Selkie, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, more than he, ours. He, he'd be my MVP too. Yeah, I think that he. I mean, he's obviously capable of it. And there was something that when I talked to Carter uh, about a week and a half ago that just told me that he's so dialed into this season that he wasn't even really testing new equipment this offseason because he didn't want to mess with anything. Wow. So, I mean, that's like singular in focus. Um, so uh, I we're in total agreement. I think it will end up being Carter Hart. Plus, I, I just don't think they have a guy that's going to go out in 56 games and put up 34 goals to make it a runaway in right. that regard. Uh, although I could see Konechny topping his 24 goals in less games. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm I mean, how long, how, how, where was he chugging along there uh, when the, when the season uh, shut down? He was at 24, uh, you know, so that's, that's probably easily a 30 game season and or 30 goal season. Um, and Oscar and, was on that pace as well. Yeah, exactly. Oscar, sample size 11 and 30. So if, if, uh, if either of those guys can, can keep that going and then, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a younger guy takes the next step, maybe a Joel Farabee jumps in there or, uh, somebody like that uh, can uh, can come in, and, and then we have, uh, of course, the wild card, which is Nolan Patrick. What's he going to come back and be like? So uh, a lot of a lot of opportunities there to grab that and run with it. But that is probably the the most glaring thing I think the Flyers are missing going into the season is a is a you know a, a bona fide goal scorer. So uh, you know if um, you know one of those guys can jump into that, we might be uh, talking different here. All right, let's talk about the Norris then. Now, we're not going to predicate our Norris prediction on points from a defenseman. We're just going to talk about the best defenseman. But we're going to take Provorov out of the equation okay. because that was that would be too easy. So the Flyers' second best defenseman throughout the 2021 regular season, 56-game season, will be Bry. I'm going to go with Travis Sanheim, but for me, it's a complete toss-up between him and Phil Myers, um, based on what we saw in the playoffs last year. And uh, Chuck Fletcher had a press conference today, talked about uh, how he really likes those two guys playing together, and I, I really think that they will end up being uh, 
just an amazingly reliable pairing for the Flyers here over the course of this coming season. Um, the only reason I give the nod to Sandheim is just a little more experience than, uh, than what Myers has. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, past um, you know, with the roster as it is right now, past Ivan Provorov, it's going to be uh, th those two guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really good where the Flyers are at kind of right now in terms of their, in terms of their young defensemen and, uh, you know, what, what they have uh, overall coming down the pike. Bill, are you going to go with uh, Travis Sandheim? Well, yeah, I think for all three of us, it's going to come down to those two guys, you know, yeah. um, I, I, because you said points by a defenseman is, you know, it'll be the overall picture because I mean, I think if Eric Gustafson has a good year, then maybe you're able to, to put Gustafson at, at times up with Provorov and you're able to have Sanheim and Myers back together again. But I think it's going to be one of those two guys, either Sanheim or Myers, who's going to play uh, with Provorov in the top pairing. Um, Sanheim will be asked, or rather, Provorov will be asked to, uh, you know, be the veteran anchor on the pairing, and that's a little bit, you know, a little bit of a different role for him. Um, I, I think that Myers would be the guy. If someone's going to step up into that shutdown half of the the top pairing as the right-handed defenseman, see more PK time, which is something that Chuck Fletcher mentioned today, that yeah. there'll be an opportunity for him, and also continue to, you know, to bring out his offensive game a little bit more because we all know that ability is there. You know, um, with Travis, I think everybody just wants to see a little, a little more consistency. You know, with with Phil Myers, I think there's a little more development to go. I, so I, I, if it's going to be one of the two, and one guy's really going to have the breakout year and, and whatnot, you know, it could be either of the two. But I'll say Phil Myers. All right. So let's talk about now. And I agree. I'm, I'm going to go with Myers as well. Be, you know, when Chuck Fletcher said that he's going to see some PK time with the, you know, Niskin and gone to fill some of that void. And, and that we may, Bill, we talked about this in the last episode. We may see different pairs pending situation with Ivan Provorov in games. And, and Chuck alluded to that as well. Um, but let's talk about uh, the, uh, the player or players that have the, the best chance of what we would guess we would term as a bounce back season. Maybe had a depressed season last year, or maybe even the last two, that have the potential in this fifty-six game season to maybe recapture maybe where a lot of us know their potential is. Uh, so, Brian, let's start with you with this. Who's the player that could have the biggest bounce-back season um, to get to get it going in, in this campaign to to kind of give the Flyers a good shot in the arm? Well, uh, you know, if I if I had to. ID one. Um, I, I would go with Claude Giroux having a big year this year. I don't think he's uh, very happy with how the playoffs went last year for him. Um, you know, and he knows that uh, he knows that his his clock is ticking, if you will. Um, you know, it's hard to hard to believe, but um, you know, he was now drafted 14 years ago by this team. Um, he has been uh, a regular in the starting lineup since uh, about this time of year in the uh, 08 09 season. So, uh, you know, he is now uh, going to be knocking on the door of, um, uh, of the, the top records in the record book uh, here. He's going to pass uh, some pretty big names uh, pretty quickly here in terms of games played and stuff like that. So he is, uh, I'm sure, no doubt aware that uh, he is um, facing uh, a little bit of a time crunch here in terms of trying to set his, uh, um, you know, set his legacy, if you will, with this team. Um, obviously, the, uh, the circumstances surrounding the resumption of last season were not good for anybody, but they especially weren't good for, um, you know, players that had 
very, very young children at home yeah. and then were their first children. And I think you saw a little of that probably both in, in Claude Giroux and James Tan Reem Sykes games. Um, but and I think uh, and maybe Couturier to a little bit, uh, yeah. a little extent. So I think, um, you know, this might be, uh, even though it's a, a 56 game season, uh, game in, game out, this might be the best season of what, uh, what Giroux has left. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, really motivated to come out and try to uh, to, to lead this team to, to something special this year. Well, it's a great answer. And it, like Claude knows that he had the hot dog and, and the Gatorade at the turn on the back nine. Like he knows he's in the back nine, Yeah, you know, cause he's not oblivious to the fact that, you know, he, he's, he's on the back nine of his career. We don't know if he's on hole 16, 18. We don't know if he's on hole 13, but Bill, when you look at this, this is opportunity for a player really to bounce back. Do you look at a guy like Jarrell? Yeah, I think Brian made a good case for Giroux. I think the names that bounced in my mind, and I'll disqualify uh, Nolan Patrick because he missed the whole year. So just yeah. having him healthy is a bounce back uh, to, to some degree. But I, I, the names that jumped to my mind are uh, Shane Gossespierre and James Van Riemsdyk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go look at JVR's first year with the Flyers. If he had not, uh, if he had not gotten injured early in the season and missed uh, basically a month. He probably would have scored 30 goals. This yeah, game two, he got hurt against Vegas with that shot. Game, game two, right? And he, and yep. he missed a month. Yep. Um, he finished at 27. So he, you know, he probably would have had a 30 goal year his first year here. Last year, I think he had 19. And then he ended up a healthy scratch a few games in the playoffs. You know, if he's still going to be the player that the Flyers anticipated having when they signed him, uh, particularly in front of an expansion draft and, and all those other considerations, this would be this would be the time. I mean, as we're as a lot of us are working through line combinations, you know, I don't think a lot of us have JVR in the in the top six in the lineup, right? And when Flyers first signed him, I think the anticipation was, you know, he would still be a top six forward in by year three. So uh, I think he has a lot of motivation to be to have a bounce back year. The other guy being Shane Gossespierre, um, because he's missed, you know, ready to miss. He's missed time with injuries, so he's had physical issues. But, I mean, listen, the last two years have not gone as, as he would have wanted or as the team would have wanted for him. Um, even, you know, last year, even after he came back from from the knee, he uh, was frequently a healthy scratch in favor of Robert Haig. Um, you know, he's competing with Haig. He's competing to some extent with Eric Gustafson just because both guys, you know, are, are guys who get a lot of offensive zone starts. They're, they're guys who play on the power play. You know, I, again, ahead of an expansion draft, you know, and, and uh, he, he's competing for ice time. He's competing for his future as well, too, because, you know, if, if you were to have a third down season yeah. compared to what he did, you know, in, in his rookie year, in his third year, then you, then, you know, then you start to be a little bit concerned about what does his long-term future look like in Philadelphia or, or, or elsewhere, too. So, you know, the number one thing you need from Shane is for him to produce points. Um you know, the uh, the defensive parts of his games are what they are, but, uh, you know, he's adequate enough in those areas where, you know, you can live with it if he's producing regularly. So this is this will be an opportunity this year to compete, to get back in the lineup and, and to produce again. So that those will be my guys. Yeah. yeah, and there's that health issue there too, Bill, because if you guys recall, um, you know, he came back on March 10th, which would end up being the last game of the year last year. Um, having uh, come off of uh, that knee procedure. And then he had another one during the break and he came back into the playoffs saying he was feeling 
better than he had in years. Um, you know, he had uh, one knee issue fixed and they had another one fixed that cropped up from trying to compensate from the first one. So that's the other thing I think we're going to see here is a fully healthy Shane Goss despair and, and hopefully back to the one we saw uh, when he took the league by storm his rookie year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, here's the good news, guys. There's only 20 days left till we start getting some answers. There's 20 <laughs> days left till the 2021 NHL season begins. I'm not going to call it the 2020-21 season because there's no games in 2020. Right. It's the 2021 season. Just let that be known. Uh, and it sounds like you're saying them both anyway. I've been stumbling over that for the last six exactly. months. So, hey, in just In some go ways, I am. In some ways, I'm not. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, like I said, only 20 days till the season starts. We've got a schedule. For everything Flyers, head to PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. You can get all the info there. Also, uh, make sure you check out this podcast. This has been a special edition of Flyers Daily. Everybody have a great holiday. You guys have a great holiday. Uh, we'll be back Monday with another brand-new episode, including uh, a conversation with Phil Myers. So, in the meantime, thanks for listening, and thanks for checking out Flyers Day. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought me some.